My God, Ross, there's someone murdered in every bed. And that starts the Velasca Axe Murders from 1912. Taking it back to the back to the way back. This is Jen. This is Becky. And this is too close to home. (laughs) So we're going to do today's over an oldie but a goodie. It's still considered an open case. Yeah. (laughs) From 1912. So if y'all see anything or heard anything, give them a call. You know what they say. See something, say something. (laughs) And it's never too late. Never too late. You can bring justice, y'all. Bring it. We're trying to laugh as hard because the last episode was very hard. (laughs) Oh, I could go lay in my bed and cry after that one. Seriously. That, like, really pulled the heartstrings hard. Sorry, guys. Uh, I, I, I... I can't promise that that won't happen again. <laughs> I wish I could say this one was a little bit more jovial, but it's not. But it's well, it feels funner, more removed it's... because it's so old. Yes. So it's like talking about the Egyptians. You know what I mean? Like it's hard to get the emotions tied up because you can't ponder how to live the way they did at that time period. You know, like oh, it's like made up. It's make believe. <laughs> it's not real. This ain't real, guys. It's how fine. This one feels, especially when you hear a lot of the details. It's like. Oh, this is just like it feels like you're just talking about a movie. Yeah, like Murder on the Orient Express. Very much, this is how it feels. <laughs> murder in the old house on the farm. The old house on the farm. <laughs> Wish they had Poirot. He would have totally solved it. <laughs> and there's a lot of information about this too. So we'll jump right in. In the early 1900s, Valeska, Ohio, Iowa. Was your last one about Ohio? Uh, in the Indiana. Okay, I just <laughs> am lost. They were all in the same area. Um, it was a Midwestern town with a population of approximately 2,500. According to D.N. Smith, a Chicago Burlington Quincy Railroad employee, Villisca meant pretty place or pleasant view. That's They picked Villisca because that's what it was meant to be. A 19- I like it. Beautiful, right? In 1912, the town built the only publicly funded armory in the state of Iowa. This brought them a lot of money, and um, the company that housed all this participated in the 1916 Mexican Expedition, World War I and World War II, as well as the Korean and the Vietnam Wars. They're one of the biggest armories and supplied for all of those. Oh, nice. But a lot of those memories and are washed away by the 1912 murders, and that's one of the biggest things that people in that town still remember. On June 10th, 1912, it would forever be changed the way that people remembered this little hometown by the horrific deaths of eight of their own. On June 10th, the tranquility of Pretty Place was shattered by the discovery of the Velasca Axe murders. The Moore family, well-known and well-liked residents, and two overnight guests were found murdered in their bed. Little known to the people of the town of Valeska is when they picked that name, they picked it off the Indian word Waliska with the W. Mm. They half that W and put a V. They had translated it incorrectly. Oh, and of course. Me. Damn it, you white people. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fucking white it probably people. probably sounds like me in that episode <laughs> with all the French words. Like That's probably exactly what they sound like. If you're a French like. listener, I apologize. <laughs> So they had translated it to pretty place or pleasant view. That's like when someone goes and gets a Chinese symbol. And oh, yeah. like, no, no, Karen, it means soup. <laughs> well, that's what they did here. Velisca might have been in like slang for vagina. I don't know. <laughs> well, Liska actually means evil spirit. Oh, 
Okay, well, that makes sense. So they kind of fucked themselves from the jump. See, my only knowledge of these murders is from horror movies. Well, I'm going to give you the real knowledge of it. So, like, the, just the, like, this is already setting up perfectly aligned with the movies. Like, so it was supposed to mean pretty view, <laughs> but it means evil. Evil spirit. <laughs> <laughs> the murders still remain unsolved and a part of Aliska's past that continues to haunt its future. The Velisca Axe murders occurred between the evening of June 9th, 1912 and the early morning of June 10th, 1912. The six members of the Moore family and two guests were found bludgeoned in the Moore residence. All eight victims, including six children, had severe head wounds from an axe. The Moore family consisted of Josiah, 43, Sarah, 39, and their four children. Herman Montgomery, 11, Mary Catherine, 10, Arthur Boyd, 7, and Paul Vernon, 5. The Moore family was an affluent family of the community. Josiah was a prominent businessman who had married Sarah Montgomery on December 6, 1899. I mean, got to party like it's 1999. <laughs> 1899. 1899. <laughs> at the home of her parents. Sarah was 39 at the time of her death. She was a homemaker and an active member of the Presbyterian Church. On June 9, 1912, Miss Moore invited Ina May, 8, and Lena Gertrude Stillinger, 12, to spend the night at the Moore residence. Lena and her sister Ina were daughters of Joseph Ina and Sarah. And Ina? Lena and Lena. Ina. I was like, Ina and Ina. No. Ina and Ina. Eeny, miny, moe. <laughs> Lena and Ina. <laughs> They were daughters of Joseph and Sarah Stillinger. Both girls were born on the Stillinger farm just outside of Villisca. The evening of the murders, the visiting girls in the Moore family attended the Presbyterian Church where they participated in the Children's Day program. The Children's Day service was end-of-year Sunday school program. Sarah coordinated it, and all the kids would get up there and do these little speeches and little recitals, and everybody came and watched. The program ended at 9.30. Just wholesome as fuck. Wholesome as Oh, just, it gets even more wholesome. Oh, my God. Um, it ended at 9.30. The Moores and the Stillinger sisters walked into the Moores' home, arriving between 9, 9.45 and 10. When parishioners left on that cloudy, damp, cool night, no one suspected that either the Moores nor the overnight guests would ever be seen again. When they got home, they all sat around the table and had milk and cookies and then went to bed. Is that Fuck. not the cutest thing ever? Fucked all the way up. Yeah. With their little chips ahoy. Stop it. Chips ahoy. <laughs> You're precious. <laughs> I know, I know. The evening ended as an unusually quiet and dark night. So on this I'll particular say, night. It well, went real dark. <laughs> yeah. Both metaphorically and physically. Because <laughs> the streetlights were out in the town. So it was pitch black. Ooh. So It was probably it, back in those days when people were out there manually lit and stuff. No, no, they actually had power for oh. streetlights. I don't think they had it in their homes yet. Just like, you know, people still yeah. had like lamps and shit up in there unless you were rich. Yeah. Um, the light company. I would have been in a dark motherfucking place. You and me both. I don't even know that I had. I had to make my own candles and everything. <laughs> like fucking animal fat. It smells like bacon in here. That's all I had to make the candles. Once the candle melts, put it in the pan so we can cook with it tomorrow. And then we'll start all over again. <laughs> It's a circle of life. <laughs> had a can of Crisco that you just had a wick in that you 
lit for candle and scoot for cooking. <laughs> That'd have been me. That shit is lit. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's where the term came from. I mean. <laughs> the light company was in a dispute with the city council over requests for more street lights and maintenance to be performed on the current lights. So in a show well, of protest. a day late and a dollar short. <laughs> well, the light company was like, oh, you want to come at me and tell me I need to fix them? I got something for you, ass. Bam, no lights. How you like that? <laughs> How you like that? Come at me again. Just come I, at me. Now you're going to ask us for me to turn them back on, aren't you? You better say pretty please. <laughs> <laughs> so that night, there was no fucking lights. Aww. So it was pitch fucking black. Because, you know, that's all there was was like those few little street lights. And like we said, cans of Crisco with the wick in them. Yeah. <laughs> so it was already motherfucking dark. You know, our first merch should be cans of Crisco. <laughs> it should. With the wick in it. <laughs> Yeah, that obviously left the streets very eerily quiet and dark. Sometime after midnight, but before 5 a.m., the killer or killers picked up Joe's axe from the backyard, entered the house, and bludgeoned to death all eight of the occupants. When the killer entered the home, he first found an oil lamp with those glass chimneys. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. He removed the chimney. Like the ones from Cracker Barrel. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. Thank you, Jennifer, for letting our viewers be able to visualize what we're talking about. <laughs> they did not have you the can tell game, that's though. why I'm fat. <laughs> they got them good ass biscuits, son. Oh, I bet they had some bomb ass cornbread back then, too. No, oh, I bet you. I bet you. Delish. Now I'm lost. Okay. <laughs> so he removed the chimney from the lamp and he placed this under a chair or a dresser. It was... Uh, different according to which articles that you read. But I'm going to go with chair, even though the dressers were high. Anyway, remember that little bit of information. Mm -hmm. He then split the wick into two so that it would cast a dimmer light. And then he went about his evil plan. He first entered Josiah and Sarah's room and hit them repeatedly in the head with the axe. Josiah received more blows from the axe than any other victim. His face had been smashed to such an extent that they said his eyeballs just exploded and there they were no more. What is it with me and stories with eyeballs lately? <laughs> I mean, first you want to know if we can do an eyeball transplant. We're going to call you the eyeball killer. But here's the thing. I have an irrational fear of eyeballs. Like, I'm always afraid my eyeball's going to get poked out. I told you that yesterday <laughs> yeah. when we were eating. Like, I have, I don't like eyes to be touched or anything. So why do I keep stumbling across cases with eyeballs? <laughs> what is it? What did I do? <laughs> Maybe in a past life, you got, you got fucked up in your eyeballs and that's it. Like Maybe. Someone was telling me the other day that they have this fear every time they wash their face that somebody's behind them. So they lock their bathroom doors. She's like, I had to have been killed in a past life by drowning or something because I get this panic. I do too. <laughs> Maybe that, that's what happened to me. Like Maybe. I, even in the shower, I'm like, all right, get the water out of your eyes in case someone comes in. Like... <laughs> Come on. Come on, Becky. The killers or killer used the blade of the axe on Josiah while using the blunt end on the rest of the victims. So he used the sharp side on Josiah and the dull side on everybody else. Although another article thinks they used the sharp side on the wife. But anywho, her either way, the motherfuckers got hit in the head with an axe. But he got hit in the head with the axe the most. The most. He was hit 20 to 30 times in the head with the axe. I wonder if he was like either the PSA de resistance or the intended like 
focus. And that's what they can't figure out. Was he the in, the intention? But I think it was more so he was the man. Mm. So they wanted to he really wanted to be sure, sure they eliminated sure. yeah, the threat. Because the rest was all a bunch of babies. That's true. And, the, and women. Easy. Which obviously were weaker in that time. Duh. I mean, she couldn't do anything but clutch her pearls. Literally all she could do. <laughs> I would have not made it. We learned how to do other things later on. All those women having to give birth in the fields. I wouldn't have made it. I would not have made it. Mm. You know, they say that people, you know, die in childbirth a lot. I would have. I would have. I'd have been like, I'm out. Well, and then you didn't even have a choice if you had a baby. Your husband decided if you had yeah. babies. Well, at one point, they didn't even know how they were made. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's just like, I don't know. People touch each other and then there's babies. We don't know how to stop it. Are you feeding them after midnight? Are you giving them water? <laughs> Herman, Mary Catherine, Arthur, and Paul were all sleeping in the room across from the parents. And they were bludgeoned next in the head, same as the parents. Were they all in the same bed or anything? The four kids were. So they were all killed in their bed. Did they think that they woke up any or did Mm-mm. it all happen in silence like the DeFeo murders? From they, Amityville. They said uh, they don't believe anybody woke up but one person. Everybody else appears that they were. It was quick secession. And they got pop, pop, pop. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm. But he did circle back around. stuff. He did circle back around. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. He circled back. <laughs> Lion King really prepared me for this. But the opposite. Circle of death. Oh, see, here's the next line. Afterwards, the murder circled back to the master bedroom. <laughs> oh, guess who's back? Back Axe again. Back. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. I'll Don't kill your us. friend. <laughs> Don't hate us. We laugh to keep from crying. Then we laugh until we cry. And then yes. we can blame the tears on laughter. <laughs> but really, it's the little bit of soul we have left coming out. <laughs> The main reason they know he circled back <laughs> was when he went to the parents' room the first time and hit them, there was a shoe next to the bed on the mom's side, mm-hmm. and the blood had rolled off the bed and was just going right into the shoe. Well, when he went back the second time, he knocked the shoe over. So there was coagulated blood and fresh blood, and the way that right. it was positioned, they knew that the shoe had to have filled with the blood at first. And then be knocked over at a later time. That was some excellent police work for the time. I know. They were, they did a pretty good job on what they could, but they fucked up a lot of stuff too. So <laughs> let's not get ahead of ourselves, Jen. <laughs> yeah. so, well, it wasn't really their fault. You'll see. I mean, and, it was the axe's fault, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> Investigators believe that all of the victims, except for Lena Stillinger, had been asleep when murdered. They believe that she had awoke. And tried to fight back. She was the only person that had any defensive wounds. And she had defensive wounds to one arm as though she had like put it up to, to stop her herself. Because yeah. she had cuts on one arm. Uh, she was also found lying crosswise on the bed. As though she had like attempted to like throw a leg up. Mm. And put her hand up. And then when she was hit she fell back. So she wasn't laying straight in the bed. She was laying at like an angle. Um. Lena's nightgown had been pushed up to her waist and she had no undergarments on, leading law enforcement to believe that she had been sexually molested or attempted to do so. But later on when they did... Maybe that's why she has those defense in the room because he was like, I'm going to need her to be awake for this. Maybe. But they later said that there was no signs that she had actually 
been sexually molested. Yeah. Just posed in a sexual situation, sexual position. Like maybe a red herring. What's that? <laughs> I don't want to know. A red herring is not nasty. <laughs> I said I don't want to know. You're a liar. You're a liar and I don't trust you. A red herring is like a false, like I did this, like some, like in this case, I did it to look like this, but it was really for this. Okay. So it's not. I Your trust is regained. <laughs> I, I like, wait, we again. were talking about a sexually explicit and you talk about fish? Rude. <laughs> and you say, it's not disgusting? I don't believe you. <laughs> the following morning at approximately 5 a.m., Mary Peckham, the Moore's next door neighbor, stepped into her yard to hang up her laundry. At 7 a.m., that's early in the morning. <laughs> at 7 a.m., she became concerned because she noticed the family had not come out to do their morning chores. And, you know, this was the day of when the sun gets up, you get up mm-hmm. and you get on it. So seven rolls around and she's like, why aren't they up? Because you didn't ever sleep in them than no. them days. So Pekka went again, over. Another example of how I would not have survived. Uh, I get up at five almost every morning now. So I probably been I. I get up to play on my phone and drink coffee before yeah, anybody else like, rises. They're up there trying to like. Not to feed the chickens and hang laundry. Right? <laughs> I get pissed where I have to move from the washer to the dryer. Right. They're out there like washing that shit on yeah. a washing board. Then okay. flinging it over. And nah. Thanks for bringing me back down to reality. You're right. <laughs> not made for that life. No. <laughs> I was made to be a princess. I would be like, sorry, your clothes just have stains. Excuse me. I'm a countess. It. Sorry. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so. When Mary's out there doing her thing, she goes and she knocks on the Moore's door. Nobody answered. She tried to open the door and it was locked. And she said she noticed that all the curtains were still drawn and that for as many children as they had, mm-hmm. why, even if the parents were sick and they were staying in bed for the day, she would have heard them. Up. Yeah, yeah. But We all know about how loud children are. Yeah. And I mean, you had a five-year-old, so. That bitch wasn't sleeping for sure. Yeah. She said she felt an odd stillness come from the house, too. So Peckham let the Moore's chickens out and started tending to their chores for them. Like, stand-up neighbor. Stand well, I up mean, neighbor. like, I only did, not only did I do my fucking chores, you lazy bitches. <laughs> I'm over I'm here doing your chores. Tending to yours. You know, she probably felt like a bitch later. You're like, <laughs> I was trying to shame them. <laughs> uh, she went on to get very nervous. When still no one appeared after she's out doing their chores and shit. She's like, surely they would have woke up when they heard me out here doing their stuff. Yeah. They would have come out here and profusely thanked me as I deserve to be. <laughs> Gave me some cornbread or some leftover cookies they had the night before. I know. <laughs> so she called Ross Moore, Josiah's brother. Like Peckham, Moore received no response when he knocked on the door and shouted. During this time, Josiah's boss had also shown up at the house in an attempt to locate Josiah who had not shown up to work. So you got, and then, and then according to the boss, he helped do the chores at the house and then he left. But I think he's sussy, sus, sus all day long. And you'll see when we get into his interview. Don't be suspicious. Don't, Don't be suspicious. And he was all suspicious. Oh, fuck it. Suspicious. So Ross unlocked the front door with his copy of the house key. And I say copy of the house key very loosely. These were not deadbolts with blocks no. that you go have made at the, they were, Primitive. Yes. Good word. This was like to keep the animals out, not to keep predators out. Exactly. <laughs> so he immediately noticed that when he opened the door that all the curtains were still drawn 
and the extra curtains and blankets had been thrown up over the windows. Yeah, and that's what he did. Which Jennifer mm. just cocked that head. Hmm. Weird. And he said he could immediately smell what he thought was blood. Because, you know, there was no ACs or circulation. People opened their windows. So now the windows had been shut and double sealed with blankets. You know, he probably slaughtered his own animal. So he probably knew what the smell of blood smelled like. Because nowadays, we came in there, we're like, who had got all these pennies in here? (laughs) (laughs) And like you said, they would butcher their own animals. So they knew the smell of like a slaughterhouse. So he immediately noticed the curtains were still drawn. He thought he could smell blood. He told Miss Peckham, stay on the porch. That name. Don't come in. (laughs) Peckham, stay back. Ross went into the parlor and he opened the guest bedroom door. And that's when he found Ina and Lena's bodies covered with bed sheets, but obviously clearly dead. He ran out the house. They said he sat down on the porch. He put his head in his hands and he just said something terrible has happened. Like he was like fucked up. Yeah. So he told Miss Peckham, call Henry, also referred to as Hank. Horton, that's the town's only police officer. <laughs> of course. Or, or like the sheriff. He was the big dog. He was the law man. He was the long hand <laughs> of the law. <laughs> <laughs> he was, oh, I'm sorry, he was Felisca's primary peace officer. And he arrived shortly thereafter. Horton went in and he did a, a rundown of the whole house. And that's when he realized everybody was dead. The murder weapon, an axe belonging to Josiah, was found in the guest room where the Stillinger sisters were. The axe still had some blood and hair, but it was clear they also tried to clean it off. Not like there was DNA back then. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but like like the haphazard, like, you know what? Fuck it. This is not going to work out. Like, what? I know. <laughs> Why even attempt it? There is too many brains. This is a weird motherfucker you'll learn that did this. So word obviously quickly spread in the town. Um... At the time, the Stillinger's parents still didn't know that their daughters were dead. They had been trying to call the house, but they kept getting no answer. So Was that their only kids? No, they had a, another, at least one more, I know, because they interviewed one more. <sighs> at least one more in the lottery. <laughs> they um, figured after they had been calling in the morning, okay, maybe the girls went out to help them with their chores and whatnot. We'll call later on. So they attempted again later in the afternoon and that was back in the day when you got a operator, you know, and then they oh, like yeah. patched you to, through. When she asked them to patch her through, she responded, oh, everyone in that house is dead. That's how the parents found out their daughters were dead. The fuck? What? What a bitch. Oh, everyone. Don't bother. They're like, I can't connect you at this time. And they all did. <laughs> God's BS. I hope that bitch got fired. I hope she didn't know that was her parents. But talk about foot and mouth. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so then they have some doctors come over. They immediately come in and they conclude. Oh, well, it's a little late, little late doctors. <laughs> <laughs> they concluded based on lividity. Guess they already knew about lividity that the murders took place between midnight and 5 a.m. They also found that there were two spent cigarettes in the attic, suggesting that the killer or killers patiently waited in the attic until the Moore family and the Stillinger guests were asleep. Creepy, right? Mm, that makes me think of that um, open house. Have you seen that movie? Mm-mm. Oh, you need to watch. You, do you like horror movies? I love horror movies. Yeah. So this one is like the premise. You don't know what happens while you have an open house. So this woman uh, lost her husband and her and her son moved to this house that belongs to her sister. 
And it's like a fucking mansion. They put it up for sale. And turns out there might be somebody in the house. Mm-mm. Can't do it. And it will fuck you up. I can't be the only person that when I move into a new home, I go search every space to make sure that's not happening. Because it has literally happened that people have been found living in yeah. attics. Sometimes it's just innocent hobos. Other times it's people smoking cigarettes waiting for you to go to sleep to kill you. Yeah. Like leaning over you going. I don't want to take a gamble. Mm-hmm. I want to find them all right away. It's going to be a no for me, dog. It's going to be a no for me. <laughs> Hard pass. Hard pass. <laughs> they also quickly were able to say that the axe appeared that had been swung by someone who was left-handed. The killer. Was it JJ? He knows better. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. It's, I love you, baby. <laughs> the killer had added two bizarre touches to the murder scene. The first was a four-pound also, I found an article, a two-pound slab of bacon. Either one. It was a slab of bacon, approximately two to four pounds. Mm-hmm. Leaning against the wall next to the axe. All right, now, y'all. Super creepy. Was it? In a comfortable Leaning? <laughs> I yeah. just think about frozen bacon. Well, you're thinking when we get our bacon, it's sliced up. Oh, yeah, there's just, a slab. Yeah, and then they cut like off what they're making bag. for the day. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay, gotcha. So it was just chilling. I'm up. just thinking like Smithfield, like in a plastic <laughs> It's just like that, but imagine bigger and not sliced already. <laughs> exactly. So close, Jen. <laughs> so this is the one little super creepy, uncomfortable moment coming for you. They believe to use the bacon to masturbate with. Oh. And all I could think, because when I was listening to a different podcast where they did this one, they're like, a bacon? What? And then they were so confused, and I was thinking, bacon grease, ladies. Bacon grease. Yes. He probably just looped his hands up real good and just went to whacking away. <laughs> because this is a whack-a-mole over here. where it was positioned was at the end of the bed looking at Lena, who was posed in that sexual position with her legs open. He's like, these up. bitches don't even have lotion. Okay, good thing they got this type of bacon. So lug later. going to break now so I can go slap Jennifer. <laughs> So, yeah, that's pretty gross, right? <laughs> for for a second. Okay, so when you said masturbate with bacon, I was like, did he roll it up that's and, like, I, fuck it? That's like, what I think they were thinking. But all I could think was, I think he greased his hands up. <laughs> Y'all might be right, but I feel like I'm probably more accurate. I was just saying, if they if he had done that, though, it wouldn't be leaning no more. <laughs> no, it wouldn't be. So I believe I your theory so much he more. He would just reach one hand down and get it looped up. The little, all right. Yeah. Who, who's cooking bacon? Oh, right. <laughs> oh, my God. I wonder if he got go. Never mind. I'm going to stop. Gonna There's stop. a lot of questions you never thought you'd have to ponder today. <laughs> and you are welcome. <laughs> yes. And this all tells me that it's time for me to eat. <laughs> right? Bacon does sound good. There is some in the beans that we're having. Yes. <laughs> and none of this changes how I feel about bacon, FYI. No. Absolutely not. <laughs> He didn't violate that bacon. He just used it as lube. Yeah. <laughs> Hard times call for quick decisions. We're talking primitive, innovative okay? measures. Exactly. <laughs> he was going all natural, okay? <laughs> Probably made it soft. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> the murderer <laughs> also searched dresser drawers for pieces of clothing to cover any of the mirrors in the house or any reflective surfaces. On the kitchen table was a plate of uneaten food and a bowl of bloody water. They believed he used the bowl of water to wash up. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
he also all the victims were found in bed they all of them were covered with blankets or coats clothing whatever he could find to cover them every person's head had been hit at least 20 times god damn that's a lot of fury yeah the ceiling in the parents bedroom and the children's upstore upstairs had gouge marks in the roof from how hard he was swinging it up and how oh shit yeah which I'm not gonna. Oh, I'm not gonna lie, Jennifer. I'm kind of excited when we go stay there to look for the gouge marks. <gasps> That's right, guys. We are going to go. Yes. I mean, we looked at it. It's not a too bad of a road trip. Mm-mm. My car's fuel efficient. Your car's fuel efficient. Yep. Either way, we're going and we're gonna stay it. And I'm gonna take my baby Ouija board and we're gonna do this. Yes. And don't worry, we'll, we're allowed to record in there, and they encourage it. Yes. So we're gonna try to do an episode from in there. So get ready, y'all. <laughs> Make sure you pay attention to this episode so we can, you know. Right. <laughs> um, they also found a piece of keychain that was found on the floor in the downstairs bedroom um, that didn't belong to anybody. And I don't know about you, but immediately when they say keychain, I'm like, what kind of keychains did they have then that you would find yeah, a they piece? they didn't have rabbit foot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't know. Maybe they did. Maybe it was like an actual, like. Like old style, uh, round circle with like all the like a jailer's old keys. Old key, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe <laughs> they just found it. But then you would think that's just a random piece of metal. How do you know that's a keychain? There was a key in the last door that had been left in the door by the family that was now removed. So back in the day, you know, they would lock a door from inside out. You had to use a key. So the family always left one key in the lock, and it was gone. And they believed that's how the guy. They believe that's how he exited the home was with the key that had initially been left in there. So Dr. Williams came outside after entering the house, held up one hand, and direct quote said, don't go in there, boys. You'll regret that for the rest of your lives. When the doctors... Well, I'm sorry. If someone says that, I have to look. Well, that's what happened to him. The town was like, that just means it's going to be fucking good. <laughs> yeah, like, that's going to be fucking wild. I have to look. <laughs> <laughs> when the doctors first entered the house... They started with the downstairs bedroom with the Stillinger girls. Their heads had been reduced to nothing. Ina was killed first and Lena last. Lena was also the last victim of everyone in the house. Everyone was found most likely in the positions that they went to sleep in the night before, with the exception of Lena, as we mentioned earlier. <gasps> Wait. What if you what if you drugged their their milk? <laughs> I don't know that they, <laughs> did they do that back then? I don't know. Like, well, I mean, there was cocaine and everything. I'm sure there was morphine and all the other shit. I think he just went around and click, click, all them motherfuckers while they were sleeping. Maybe. I, I like the was... morphine thing, though. <laughs> it makes it feel intricate. I don't I'm know. I'm trying to bring it into the 20th century, Becky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to bring in a little Randy crap in there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Some homemade sedatives. <laughs> don't worry. This is really nice, warm, delicious milk. Enjoy that with your cookies. I whack you 20 times in your head. <laughs> well, see, you're you're giving precedence that he would have known they were going to have that and already drugged the milk beforehand. Oh, damn, that's right. Yeah. It was probably a special occasion because people didn't get fun things at like all that. in those no. states. No. Milk and cookies was a real special treat. That was like some Disney World type. Yes. You know, one of those girls had to cry. Really, Daddy? <laughs> the chocolate, chocolate chips? chips? <laughs> I, I didn't even they... have to go get my own milk out of the udder. <laughs> I wonder if they had chocolate chip cookies back then. It's a good question. <laughs> What'd it be like lard cookies? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> With a lard lamp. 
<laughs> and lard masturbation lotion. Uh. <laughs> I'm going to bring it back. <laughs> mm. So a grand jury disposition given by Dr. Williams, he said, quote, she laid as though she had kicked one foot out of her bed sideways and one hand up under the pillow on her right side, half sideways, but not clear over, apparent, apparently. She had been struck in the head, and it looked to me she may have been turned over that way. She had possibly died, for the blood had run through the pillow and to the bed, and this arm had been rammed up there after the blood went through. So basically what he was saying was, there was blood all the way through the pillow and through the sheet, mm -hmm. but when her arm was back under there, it didn't have blood on it. So she had to have been up fighting, yeah. hit, bled, and then he must have like moved moved her in. Timmy <laughs> just looked at you. <laughs> in some position that then her arm rammed back under there. Yeah. So she clearly did try to fight this person. Get him, girl. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> right? She also, again, had her legs spread open. That They had to identify who was in each room by the names on their Bibles because they could not recognize anybody's faces. So that's how they were able to tell who was in what rooms. And that's just another wholesome, sad thing. It's probably the fanciest shit they had ever gotten, too. Mm-hmm. I got you. What was it? Josiah? I got you a Bible with your name in it. <laughs> oh, Daddy, thank you so much. It's our only Christmas gift. <laughs> we were going to get anything. Now I have the word of Jesus. The other day, John John sent me a text, asked me to put money in his lunch account. And I sent him a picture of Tiny Tim with the bowl of food. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he messaged me back, you wrong for that. You wrong for that. <laughs> or am I right? <laughs> you come at me like that and ask for it, I'll give you some. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Raising you right. <laughs> um, the room across the hall from the parents, they believed where all their little babies slept, was the second to be attacked. All the children were cut in about the same way. Top of the heads were crushed. They said it looked as if the brains had been chopped out with some type of instrument. The killer then went downstairs. And this is what is odd, is that supposedly he came into the house. He walked across Ina and uh, Lena downstairs sleeping, went upstairs, went to the parents, then went across the hall and killed those kids, and then came back downstairs, and then went back upstairs again, and then came back downstairs. And like I said, every victim but it was, was tracking hit. fucking footprints everywhere. Well, what I think is it's more plausible with the cigarette smoking up in the attic that he waited for everyone to. Then he came from the Damn. attic, went and killed the parents first, then hit up across the hall and then went downstairs and took his time with the little girl. He might have not even expected the girls to be there. Like came down like, oh, two more. Heck yeah. Well, I think he knew. I think he had plans for little Lena. Maybe he had seen her before and knew she was going to be there or something, but he really took his time with her. So, uh, again, the person had also covered everybody with sheets or clothing. Uh, they did know about lividity, and that's how they were able to tell it happened between midnight and five. Um, and I'm sure the killer knew everybody's going to be up at 5 a.m. doing their chores. So, I got to get the hell out of here before five because neighbors yeah. would be getting up, you know, witnesses. Sun will be coming up, and they got to skedaddle. Mm -hmm. um, the, ki 
talked about to the killer were covering all the reflective surfaces. A lot of people believe that he did this because back then, you know, this was Victorian times. So either he did it one, a shame thing, he didn't want to see himself, or two, back in Victorian times, it was believed. So when they had funerals they covered, you know, they did them in people's homes and they covered so the mirrors. Souls wouldn't get trapped in them? Nope. Okay. Because it was believed if you were at a funeral and you saw your reflection, then you were the next to die. So that's why during funerals they would cover the mirrors. Oh, I had heard before that people cover mirrors, and this probably is a different one, is uh, they cover them because the souls would leave the body, and they would, it was always with like people who were dying, and it would keep the bodies from being trapped in a mirror so they could leave. Like they open the door, cover the mirrors, be like, all right, you're good to go. I have heard stuck. they opened windows so they could exit the home and make it. I'm like, they're a ghost. They can go through shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's called ectoplasm. Get if with it. <laughs> <laughs> if they can't figure it out, then they should be doomed to earth. Right. You deserve to be in that mirror. <laughs> you can't get out of a house. How are you supposed to haunt anybody and do a good <laughs> You're job? You're damn right. <laughs> but I guess there are tons of ghosts stuck in houses that are haunted. So we'll find out when we go to this one. <laughs> when they were investigating the scene they entered the moor barn and they noticed that some hay bales were stacked in a really weird way when they went over to look at them there was an impression in the hay that someone had been laying in it and there was a, a hole cut in the barn that when you laid in the hay you peeped right out the hole and it looked into the house and you could see everything that was going on so they also speculated was somebody out there watching and waiting for them to go to sleep and waiting to attack. Yeah. Or was it just happened to be an old knot hole that looked like someone had cut just a knot hole that had worn away. And the kids would just look at it while I mean, they were playing out there. I mean, could have been doing surveillance for days in that mm -hmm. spot. And then we was like, okay, I know they go to, to church on this day. Mm -hmm. And they usually arrive home at this time. So let me go upstairs and I can wait for them. And that's where the two cigarettes, like. Mm -hmm. You're right. And it was like a happenstance that the two little girls ended up staying because. They were too tired. They didn't want to go back to their house because they lived outside of Liska. Yeah. So they had already said, we're probably going to be too tired. So then they just said, well, why don't they go ahead and stay? It wasn't even a plan for them to stay. So, yeah. you know, maybe you're right. The killer just didn't even know those other ones were going to be there. And he would just like delighted and like, well, this isn't my favorite. Yeah. Mm. Other people believe someone broke into the home earlier while they were at church, hid in the attic, smoking those cigarettes. They're also were some uh, footprints in one of the kids' closets. So they thought maybe someone was hiding in one of the kids' closets the whole time. Mm. But that seems the least plausible because, bro, there was no TVs. There was no cell phones. There was no music playing, no nothing. So at night, it was quiet. You heard everything. It'd be really hard to, like, with four kids in a room, stay in a closet and be so quiet that nobody heard you. Mm -hmm. So that, I find the, the attic's more feasible because even if you actually make a noise... How old houses make noise. Yeah. You know, and then the barn, of course, no one's going to hear you. No, no. Also, if he was up in the attic or out in the barn, he had time to get a layout of the house so that he knew where to attack, where people were going to be. So after the doctors, investigators, and everyone left for the day, they left one guard at the house and said, don't let nobody in. One. But he failed. Yeah, of course. And more than 100 people entered the house and trampled around. That's why I said this got fucked up real quick, real oh, soon, real early. Oh, man. 
not just did they tromp around and gawk, but they took things. <gasps> well, to you include, know, people in those ages, like, like from Victorian times until the early 20s, like, they loved fucking taking trophies. Like, when Bonnie and Clyde died, oh, yeah. they were tearing pieces off of them. Yeah. One of the people even took a piece of Mr. Moore's skull with him. You know, that's a family heirloom now. Oh, you'll hear what he does with it later, <laughs> which I can't say I blame him. It was a good idea. Do you remember um, the story behind Osceola? Mm-mm. Remember who Osceola was from Mm-mm. your Florida history? He was the single. Oh, the, yeah, Indian. And, well, Native American. Yep. Right. <laughs> they had him, and he they ended up killing him. Um, Spanish, pretty sure. Uh, his head was put in a jar, like pickled. And the, a dentist ended up with that, and he would, whenever his son was bad, he would put that shit in his room. Stop. Yeah. The head of Osceola. One of the top five ways to fuck your kid up. <laughs> Put a head of a dead Indian in, in their room. Their room. They won't fuck around. Not no more. Nobody. One Not time. the head. One time is all. I'd be so good after that. <laughs> I'd probably end up killing my parents when I grow up, but I would still be good until that point. That's totally serial killer soup. It is. A dash of Indian head, a dash of head trauma. <laughs> Mix it up. Serial killer. <laughs> now there's fingerprints all over the place. Everything's messed up. By noon, they got all the looky-loos out. But the damage had already been done. Yeah. And at this point, they were just starting to learn about fingerprints. But, I mean, what are you going to do now? Yeah. Half the town's fingerprints are in there. <laughs> they also had a local druggist. I don't really know what a local druggist. I'm guessing like a pharmacist is what that meant back then. Uh, he had enough forethought to attempt to enter with the crime scene with the camera. Like he showed up when they were doing it and they were like, pish posh with that nonsense. Get out of here. What? How disgusting. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> you wanted to take pictures. <laughs> if he would have imagine how differently things would have turned out because didn't he they take showed pictures up. of the, um, what's it? Lizzie Borden murders. I can't remember if they did or not. They didn't do that very much back in those days, but when they finally started doing it, there's very few of them that actually have pictures. I bet after the whole town came through, Trump's and about, they're like, man, if we'd have let Bob take them pictures. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, they did bring in some bloodhounds. And they did were they, not... they just leave the bodies there? Yeah, yeah. They were there for a little while before the coroner came and got them. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? They were... Um, Bloodhounds weren't able to find anything. It's most likely due to the fact that the whole fucking town took a tour. Very confusing. Yeah. They did pick up a scent off the axe and they headed towards Frank Jones' home. And they said that, stop. The dogs kind of looked at his house. And then they went on about their business. And they went to the river that dogs didn't end up going back to the um, river. Oh, I did say too. We'll hit back on Mr. Jones when we go over the suspects. Mm-hmm. Once they got to the river, they couldn't find anything else. So the person went through the river. They lost the scent, whatnot. Who knows? So now we're on to the next day, June 11th. The coroner's jury convened for the inquest. Fifteen witnesses were called to testify. They included Miss Peckham. She was the first witness. The Moore's Moore's next-door neighbor. Miss Peckham testified that she lived directly next door, that she seen him leave for church on Sunday, she had gone to bed, however, at 8 p.m. and did not see when they returned. According to her testimony, she heard absolutely no noises during the night. Uh, which, 
some people are like, mm, did she though? It's so quiet. And they lived relatively close, but she was also older. So yeah. And bitch got up at 5 a.m. every morning to tend around to farms and stuff. She was probably beat at the end of the night and did crash I mean, hard. She probably had animals too. So you think about it, like those freaks in your sleep, you could have probably like, oh, that's just my screaming doggy. Well, no one screamed. Remember, they were all killed oh, in that's their right. sleep. Like, it, it so just... All she would have heard is because they were like, well, you know, there's gouges in the roof. She didn't hear that. Well, old houses creak and crack. Animals, like you said. Yeah. So she never heard anybody. And it wasn't, they weren't probably right next door to each other, were they? No, they were close, but not right. like... Not, not like, like how's this like yeah sub like the suburbs now right where everybody's up each other's ass just lean between the two houses because you can't have animals if you only got two feet a yard right she told the same story about going out to hang the clothes at five at seven it's still being still tending to the livestock calling the brother him coming over she called the home of Ross Moore to ascertain whether or not anything had happened to the family that she may not have known about and. This is when they said they had called uh, Mr. Moore's dad and mom, seen if he was in any of those places. She talks about Ed Seeley, the uh, co-worker that came over, that he did feed the horses. Shortly after Ross arrived, he found the key opened up. She stayed on the porch, never went inside. Um, after seeing the bodies, Ross told her to call the police. She told exactly like we talked about in the beginning. So the next person they call is Ed Seeley, the co-worker. Seeley testified that on Monday morning, June 10th, he had opened the store and received a telephone call from Ross, Josiah's brother. Ross asked him if he knew where Josiah was, and Seeley called the Elder Moors. I'm sorry, he called Josiah's dad. Hey, is he over there? No. Um, Josiah's mother told them no, they had been there. He then received a call from Mary, who asked him if Josiah was at the store and told him the livestock needed tending to. So then Josiah, I'm sorry. Seeley left the store and went to the Moore home where he fed the horses. After returning to the store, he received another call telling him the, that the marshal was called to the house. According to Seeley's testimony, him, Ross, and Miss Peckham went into the house. And that they re, then they went back into the house again when the marshal came, all four of them. Nobody else says this, just him, that he went in the house twice with them. Even Miss Peckham. Everybody says Miss Peckham never went in the house. He's yeah. like, oh, no, yeah, we, we all went in there together, yo. Yeah. Everybody's Remember? Like, mm. Remember, baby? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's like, no, we didn't. <laughs> Seeley said after he found out they were dead, he went back to the store to call the John Deere people in Omaha to alert them of the news. So, Josiah ran the John Deere account, which we all know John Deere is like a big yeah. deal. Even more of a big deal back then because everybody farms. Right. So, I'm like, I find it. Like, you had to immediately run off and call the people up in Omaha and let them know that he was gone. Like, that's the first thing that you had to do. And but, you'll see why that seems a little bit more suspect when, when we get into the people who may have done this. Uh, Seeley returned to the house with his father after making the call to Omaha but didn't reenter the home. So then you went and got your daddy to go back to the house with you. When questioned at the inquest about possible en enemies of Joe Moore, Seeley admitted that Joe had mentioned a brother-in-law that could have been a threat. He, Joe, says, I got a brother-in-law that don't like me. Said he would even get even with me sometime. Hmm. Yeah. The brother-in-law that Moore was referring to was Sam Moyer. Seeley denied having any other information regarding anyone who had wanted to murder the Moore family and excused himself. My problem with Seeley's testimony is it just doesn't add up. He's kind of all over the place and none of his stuff matches with what anybody else says. Yeah. 
but somehow he never becomes a suspect in this. He doesn't seem overly concerned and is making calls to all these people that, like I said, it doesn't make sense your first instinct was to call Omaha and be like, hey. Also, like, why is it your place? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not the time yet. Like, can we wait? Let, let's let's get some things nailed down for, yeah. you know. So let some of the dust settle and then we'll make those phone calls. Yeah. Like, oh, uh, I hate to tell you. <laughs> He's like five minutes after the murder. I hate to tell you guys. He's like, oh, dead. I got to go make a phone call. Like, <laughs> My bad. And again, him talking about entering the home with Miss Peckham and with Ross. And Ross even said he went by himself. Miss Peckham said he went by himself. Steely wasn't even there, according to the two of them, when he went in the house and found them. And we're going to end the first part with those two witnesses because the next couple witnesses get a lot more deeper into it. Deeper. And we'll round out the rest on episode two. A lot of information left to still cover. <laughs> I'm loving this. It's fun in a weird way. <laughs> I just like the old timey stuff. Because you can look back and judge them so hard. I know. Like, you fools. <laughs> Do you not know about. No, you don't know about DA. But still. <laughs> Barely knew about fingerprints. Didn't take pictures. <laughs> Idiots, I tell you. You guys love taking pictures of dead people. And you couldn't take a picture of a murder scene? But you can go up in there and tromps around and take skull. But taking pictures yeah. is like oh, unheard of. Clutch my pearls. <laughs> <laughs> Such a bunch of noobs. <laughs> so when we pick back up, we'll pick up on Dr. Clark Cooper, the third witness. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, the case. The plot thickens. It does. Until then, this is Jen. This is Becky. Wait, that's the beginning that we do that. Oh, gosh. Hold on. We're already in the next episode. Just kidding. Just kidding. In the meantime, stay safe. Keep your head on a swivel. <laughs> and don't bring the axes too close to home. Nope. Nope. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Or the bacon. Or the bacon. Tweak, tweak, tweak. And on that, bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Too Close to Home, don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on most platforms. Follow us on our social media at Too Close Home Pod on Facebook, at Too Close Podcast on Instagram, or if you have your own Too Close to Home experience, shoot us your story at Too Close to Home at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>